I would like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on Jar Jar Wurrung country. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of this land and acknowledge leaders and elders past, present and future. Thank you. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. I'm your host, Gail Wilson, and together we will go through a series of storytelling, conversations and strategies about leaning into life's lessons, the good, the bad and the downright painful, as we journey back to ourselves and back to our intuition. Through the lens of witness and reflection, we will work our way through a series of raw, stripped-back, relatable topics and personal experiences. There will be laughter, tears and the occasional swear word because, hey, life is too short to hold back. So come along with me on this journey and let's talk life. You can follow and subscribe to Soul Care Bendigo's Naked to get notifications for upcoming episodes as they land in your space. So lend me your ears and your heart as we go through this journey together. Hello, hello, Solis, and welcome to our final interview for our season one of 2023. We are joined today by the fabulous, down-to-earth, rambunctious Kate DeRouche. Many of you might know Kate as a winner of Australian Idol, many years ago, I'm sure it feels like for her, an Australian songer and singwriter, and also a woman who is on a mission to give a voice to anyone through their vulnerable stages. And as you know, with Soul Care Bendigo, I am all about shining a light in the darkness of anyone's corners. So, Kate, thank you so much for coming on. We are thrilled to have you. Oh, thank you, Gail. That was a beautiful introduction. Thank you for having me. That's okay. And I'll be honest, listeners, this is probably take 255, but we've gotten there. (laughs) So, as long as you get there in the end. I've been a bit nervous, so I'm a bit tongue-tied today. I've watched Kate, and do you mind me asking, Kate, how old are you today in 2023? I turned 38 this week. Okay, so I'm 41. Mm-hmm. And uh, I certainly spend a fair chunk of my time singing along with you when you're on Idol. And in fact, I used to drive my husband insane because whenever the commercials would come on, you'd do your bit and then I'd practice your whole song all the way through the commercial. And I my husband would be like, oh, God, what are you doing? Just let the singer sing. And I'm like, but babe, I am a singer deep down. Everybody can sing deep down. Everybody they can. can. They can. Yeah. So let's talk about your journey. There's so much to discuss. And the one thing I think would be really important for you, Solis, to know is that Kate has started her own podcast. Please, can you tell us a little bit like that? Let's start where we are at now, and then we'll just go backwards and unpack it. All right, we'll go back. We'll start at the end and go back to the start. Sure. Um, it's like dessert uh, first, babe. Hey, yeah. So, look, it's no secret, you know, it was a fairly public display, I guess, you know, my, my troubles over the years. And I've been clean and sober from drugs and alcohol for nearly six years now. And I had been told many times over the years that my story was one that maybe needed to be shared, you know, and it, it is unique in some ways. Um, but then actually in the in the world of drugs, addiction and all of that, it's actually quite a common story. But, you know, I guess to do it in a public space is, is a little bit unique. And so I just wasn't quite sure how to do it right. Um, and I, I wanted to do it in a way that honoured my story and as – you well know um, anybody that, you know, goes through addiction doesn't go through it alone. There's other, there's silent sufferers involved and I want to do it in a way that honoured my family and the people that I'd hurt as well. So 
this idea of doing a podcast came up and I just decided that I wanted to share my story warts and all and just help to remove the stigma, I guess, a little bit about, you know, who an addict is and where an addict comes from and, and what they look like. And, uh, you know, I myself am guilty until I found myself in the world of addiction for having a preconceived idea of who addicts are. I initially wanted to remove that stigma and, and along the way we just started talking about so many different topics and it grew so much bigger than that. So, yeah, it's, it's some work that I'm really proud of. Well, tell us the name of it. Oh, sorry, yes. <laughs> it's called Why Do I Feel This Way? Sensational. The yeah. title I love and it's just so universal as a young woman growing up in the media as well. And you're from a family of musicians, so music is in your blood. Yep. Do you think if we go back, so as you'll hear in the podcast, you tried out for Idol a couple of different times. Yeah, And you yep. finally got through. Yep, third time was a charm. Third time was a charm. But even that road had its challenges. And I'll never forget the night that you were publicly humiliated in front of National Australia and yeah. the look on your face and me turning to my partner and sort of saying, did he just really fucking say that? And by the way, you're allowed to swear on this podcast if you feel so inclined, if you're passionate. No, I'm good. I'm, 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 <laughs> just so you know, it's reserved for passionate moments and online humiliation, I feel, is a very valid reason. I'll take it. So you speak and you have spoken before in many interviews given in different papers and different newsletters that you always felt a little uncomfortable in your own body. Yeah. And it wasn't always maybe looking the way you wanted to. Did you have any reservations about being on camera? Had you been on camera before Idol? I hadn't been on camera before other than like the previous times I'd auditioned with the yes. first time, you know, cameras were in my face. But, you know, discomfort in my own skin and that constant hum as I can, that's the best way I can describe it, of just mm. not feeling right mm-hmm. or comfortable. And I, and I just always remember being aware of my body and the size of it and, you know, even to the point as I've grown older, like how much space it takes up in a room. Like I'm uber, uber aware of, of my body and the size that I am. And, yeah, look, it it seems like a crazy thing for a person with such massive body issues to do, but I guess I really never expected it to go no. where it went to. You know, no, I'm going to be all over the television and thrown into the spotlight and become, you know, this person and join the Young Divas and go on this wild adventure. That was never really – that doesn't even cross your mind. So, But it shouldn't. Um, and it probably now, those comments sort of like that, he would be fired from the network. Well, you just wouldn't. You yeah. just wouldn't. You know what? And I was talking – I've been talking about this – a lot recently and, you know, just about that time in those 2000s where it was totally okay mm. to comment on the way people looked and not only comment on it but say it was wrong yeah. um, and openly say you're fat, like as simple as that. Like you just can't speak like that these days, thank goodness. Yeah. Well, then it was a shame because it, the media, you know, you had half of them who were sympathising for you and the other half that were almost finding the mockery in it. And the unfortunate thing is it really kind of took away from how fantastic a singer you actually are. Then it didn't in the end because you freaking won. So Well, well, yes and no, like and and thank you for saying that. And I guess one of the things that's haunted me over the years is it's never just been a conversation about Kate the singer. You know, I remember mm. Google searching my name, how embarrassing, but Google searching my name at one point and you know how it predicts what you're gonna type. Yes. Um, oh please Google, don't. In the Google search oh, no. it was never Kate Derouche singer or Kate Derouche music, it was always Kate Derouche weight, you know what I mean? It was always, yeah. that That was always 
in the forefront of people's minds and I was never allowed to just be a singer and just be a singer. Yeah, yeah. And did you ever call him out on it? Did you ever approach and say, hey, shit move, mate? No, I didn't. Um, and I talk about that moment and what it, how it affected me in the moment versus how it's affected me now as a, as a grown woman in, in my podcast. But, you know, in the, in the moment when he said it, like I'd already been whipping myself for years, you know what I mean? I'd already been feeding myself that story and that narrative since I was old enough to understand what a body is, you know what I mean? Mm. And, and to have a view on it. Um, so by the time that got to that, for me, it was in the back of my mind. It was just another confirmation that my body was wrong and that the body that I was in wasn't right, I guess. Yeah. Let's just uh, shake our hands of that and flick it off. Yeah. Send it out. (laughs) Send it away. That is absolutely nothing to do with your integrity, your intention of how you do life, the love you have for those around you, and what a short-sighted person to do things like that. It is, and, you know, it's been a real journey for me. And, again, I was talking about this just today, you know, even though we as a society have changed the conversation um, that we have around people's bodies and, and what you see in the media and and fashion magazines is a lot more all-inclusive of, of all bodies, shapes yep. and sizes and, and beauty being equal, it doesn't change the fact that that's been a really long journey and a really hard message to unlearn over the years. And, yeah, it, it's not been that simple and, and it's something that I still have to work on. And is that in that you still in some deep down dark place, you'd still like to look a little bit different just because it's the curiosity of it or is it part of like an, a bigger story of worth and things like that? Oh, look, you know, by the time that I'd finished my time in the public eye, like it was so ingrained in me. It had become in many ways, and this sounds terrible, but you know, my idea of what beautiful was and what to be thin was mm. was became somewhat of a core belief. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, like I still have hard days when I and 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 I've had to really grieve that idea. You know what I mean? I had to grieve I that idea of what I thought that I needed to be to be okay. And as a thirty-eight-year-old woman standing here now who survived some shit, mm. you know, not just drug addictions and. You know, I, I've been every size from 130 kilos to 65 kilos over the years. So this body done some stuff. She's seen some things, and <laughs> um, you know, she's she's a bit battered and bruised around the edges. So you know, it, I had to come to terms with the fact that it actually didn't matter how many diets I did or how much time I spent on a treadmill. Like this is the body that I've got, and then it supported me through having a baby. So yeah, it's been. And some days are better than others, but, you know, talking to myself with kindness or being able to catch myself yes, catch when yourself. I'm berating myself, yeah, be able to catch myself in those moments, go, wait a minute, let's actually just go back and talk about what this body's survived and what we've achieved together as opposed to pulling it apart for all the things that you think it's not. It's really interesting that you say that. I just recently ran a workshop on the weekend with a whole bunch of incredible women and there was 13 of us in the room and I'd asked everyone to wear a tank top because the session was on self-soothing and we were doing about how basically a woman needs touch. All humans do, but in particular, women really respond to tactile touch without any expectation. Yeah. And so we were talking about when a woman sits in rejection, so rejection meaning her ideas get shut down or her opinion gets shut down or a door gets slammed in her face from a teenager or she gets excluded from something, like that constant rejection 
how that sits in our body and how that feels. And then on this session, we went through basically how to gently touch yourself, not in a form of rudeness, but in a form of self-soothing, which is kind of like, you know, every woman loves a good old back tickle. We love a back tickle. But then it's like, how can I touch myself gently? And the reason I was talking about this is because some ladies didn't feel comfortable taking their, you know, going down to a tank top. They felt their arms were too big or their boobs are too saggy or all of those things came into it. But I sort of said to them, you know, I too get caught in moments that I wish my tummy was a bit flatter or if I was ever going to get body corrective surgery, I'd always try and get an arse implant because I've got the flattest pancake butt you've ever seen. <laughs> but another essence of that is when I've nursed people at the end of their life, not one of them ever talked about their body. It was no. never an issue. And I, you know, I said to the eight ladies, look, my arms wobble. And I've got two choices. My arms wobble. Am I going to go and join a gym and do anything about that? Probably not. So they'll continue to wobble and that's my accountability for my choices. Yeah. And also, at the end of my life, am I ever going to lay there and say, geez, I wish I was skinnier or geez, I wish my arms were not as flabby or geez, I wish I looked better in a pair of jeans? No, it's going to be so insignificant. And so when I'm going through a moment like that and I'm having that internal dialogue operating myself or particularly if I think I'm going to look a particular way and then I put it on and I'm like, what? What happened from the coat hanger to here? I don't understand. I just go, would this matter in the end, Gail? No. So just wear the dress if you fucking love it. Don't worry about it, babe. And you know what I also find super interesting in that? Like how many times have you looked at a woman in public and gone, oh, my God, she looks fucking amazing or Mm. look how gorgeous she is, who might be the exact same shape, size, look as you? But you can see the beauty in someone else, but you can't see the beauty in yourself. And that's been another thing that I've had to do is when I whip myself the way I do is is stop and go, well, when I actually speak to my mother, my sister, my best friend or anybody Mm. on the street like that, and I just simply wouldn't. And it's amazing how we set such outrageous standards for ourselves, but not anybody else. No, that's true. That's true. And I suppose even for people who do have opinion of someone else's look, I'm sure with all the work you've done, you probably would have had a shadow work. So shadow work is when we judge someone else on, let's say, appearance, but really deep down the shadow work is that, do I feel comfortable in my own skin? So I deflect that by having an opinion on someone else's. Absolutely. One finger pointing forward, three pointing back. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So it's all really, really fascinating. And we just keep going, don't we? We just have to pick ourselves up and keep going because nothing ever stays the same. Like change is the one thing we're all guaranteed in life. Yes. So let's talk about your change. So you've won the show. You've got the most amazing potential in front of you. And you then what? You go into a media frenzy. You're doing tours. What are you doing after that? What happened? Well, from, God, you're challenging me now. What are we, nearly 20 years ago? Um, (laughs) Golly. So look, you know, you come off the show, it's the big old, the confetti goes off and you're left there standing on a stage and then a man basically well, that sounds creepy, but, you know, this person comes and, and basically collects you and, and takes you on this journey who's now basically in control of your life. You know, my mm. manager, my new manager that I'd never had a relationship with, never had time to get to know, came and took my hand and, you know, led me on this exactly that, a media frenzy. The next day, I think it was 50-odd interviews, you know, no sleep, into studios, recording recordings albums doing film clips doing gigs and and it's sort of off and and running and you're thrust into this reality of what the music industry is and which is incredibly different to the safe bubble that is reality television and Australian Idol 
it's interesting that you say that. And I, I always wonder, you know, what sort of content and what sort of material, music material you may have created if you weren't, you know, a product of Australian Idol, like if the machine yeah. had gone a different way. And I, I always think of this because I really loved the content you created during COVID when you did the sing-alongs via Zooms. Yep, yep, yep. I loved that, loved all of that. And I stumbled across one day Kylie Minogue actually doing something in her, I think it was her UK apartment. And she was sort of saying that in the height of her fame and really a good 20 years of her industry, that she was owned really by a management company. And she always had a particular portfolio of a persona that she had to create and sell to. So she often wasn't allowed to create the music she would have organically liked to create. And through COVID where every contract was severed, all you know, obligations were kind of cancelled. She was kind of creating this kooky music out of her apartment, yeah. and it was like, "Oh, I haven't heard this, Kylie, before. This is really cool." And she she flat out said, "This is what I could have been creating all that years ago. Would I be as famous as I am now? No, she wouldn't have been potentially. But would she her heart have been happier creating content that she felt authentically attached to? Yeah, who knows? What do you think on that for you?" Yeah, look, I get that same thing. Like, I didn't have the time nor the space to create my own music in that, you know, initial parts of my career. And then obviously the Young Divas came about from there. So that was a whole other machine in it, mm. in itself. But yeah, look, later down the track a few years later, and not many people would know this, I actually, in one of my many rallies to get my life and my shit together, or super unsuccessful, but I, I rallied enough together. And I did some writing of my own and, and wrote an album of songs of my own stories. And it was something I was really, really proud of. But as everything that was in my life, you know, when it, when I came up to anything good or anything successful, my, my insecurities and my self-doubt kicked in and I would um, abandon ship and abandon myself and burn my life to the ground. So I managed to do that. <laughs> oh, I, I was not expecting that. you to say burn your life to the ground. <laughs> I did. I've burned my life to the ground many times. But self-sabotage. Hey, self-sabotage. Self-sabotage. You're like the queen. Oh, my golly gosh. Like, and every time, and I digress, and I and I'll talk about it maybe a bit later, but I'm actually going through for the first time in my life changing that pattern and coming yeah. up against myself. Like, I'm in it. I'm in the space where all my demons live, you know what yeah. I mean? And It's, it's been a fascinating really, place. Oh, my golly. Oh, my God. Like, so fascinating. And, and my... um. My anxiety has been through the roof recently and I'm like, of course it is. Like for the first time ever, my body's screaming at me, challenging me through all of this stuff. Yeah. And is I'm, it challenging you to run? Come yeah, on, Kate, pick like, yourself up. What do we normally do? We're normally out of here, like get on your bike, bail. Yeah. And I'm like, no, we're not doing that this time. We're just going to get up and show up for ourselves every day and put one foot in front of the other. And it, it's been really challenging but super empowering at the same time to be finally have enough awareness, I guess, to be able to look at myself from the outside and start to make changes in my patterns. It's, anyway, that's I digress. Um, so yeah, my you know I, I managed to to write some stuff that I was really proud of, and I'm and I'm super. I've just started doing it again. I'm in a space where I can write again, and it, and and it is. It's a different kind. Like singing music anywhere is amazing. Anybody's music is is super fulfilling, but it's a fulfillment that I get writing and, and watching my own music come to life that comes from my insides is is like nothing else. I really love the song that you've done for the podcast. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful. It's just heartbreakingly beautiful to listen yeah. to. 
So if your material is anything like that content, then that's really special. Yeah, well, that's where that song was where the idea of the podcast sort of came from. And I think lots of people walk through life not understanding why they feel the way they feel and not feeling heard or understood for how they feel. And that's where that song came from. Yeah, well, good on you. Make more of that. That's great. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, where's next? Where? Where, oh, where are we going? Where, where are we, we going? going? Are we are we going to shit central yet, or are we not going there uh, yet? It's, look, there was always a level of shit show bubbling underneath my life. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, not long after I won Idol was when I was introduced. I mean, I'd, I'd seen drugs and I'd taken, I think maybe a pill or something when I was a, before Idol, but I'd never. I was always really scared of drugs. Yeah. Maybe for good reason, but, you know, I guess all the worlds collided and all the stars and all of those cliches and it was that perfect storm and I met drugs really for the first time when I was just in that survival mode of just, you know, like the old duck mode, you know what I mean? I was trying to pretend that I was all good on the surface, but underneath it all I was an absolute ball of just anxiety and mess and, and all of that stuff. So, yeah, I met drugs not long after that, and I remember, obviously in the moment, I thought it was pretty innocent, but looking back now, it was pretty obvious to me that it instantly became the solution to a lot of my problems. It solved these lifelong dilemmas that I had, yeah. you know what I mean? It, it removed my inhibitions, it gave me courage, it gave me um, a bit of front, um, it made me feel cool, which was what I'd wanted to feel my whole life. Yes. And it, it just was my solution. So, yeah, the true shittest of the show took years to get to, I guess. But, you know, that drug addiction and that that just obsession and compulsion and search for the solution bubbled with me for quite a few years. And I guess it was always that balance and, and eventually the balance tipped. Yeah, tipped the wrong way. Yeah. And do would you say within your family runs, like, so for our family with my sister, there are certainly some pretty – addictive personalities in our family and so there's generational stuff in our family and I don't want to go down that track with your family but do you think you've got like a bit of an addictive personality because I'm curious to this because when we were chatting on the phone about this episode prior to coming on here folks and you said something to me which was really interesting which was saying you were talking about the chemical reaction your brain does when you take drugs yeah I haven't really heard anyone speak about it that way so I'm really interested to hear what you mean by that yeah look I'll I'll tread lightly because I'm not a clinician so I'll I'll say it in a way like I'm just me, you know what I mean? And it's yeah. it's my own experience and my own understanding. But look, in a way, it's, it's like my body has somewhat of an allergic reaction to substances, to drugs yeah. and alcohol, you know, when, when something, when I put a substance in my body, I just can't guarantee what happens next. Like there's no, there's no saying and, and any willpower is not even a thing, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. In that moment, I have no and, – and powerlessness takes over my body and I lose total control and the obsession and compulsion. Yeah, it, it's a hard thing to describe, but it, it is. It's like a chemical reaction that happens in my brain and it's a switch that goes off that I can't turn off. So how many times do you think that you used something before you realised, uh-oh, I like this way more than I should and can? Oh, that's a really good question. And I don't think there was an aha day. I think I was in denial. I know I was in denial for a really, really long time because I didn't want it to be true. I think if you if you accept and, and admit that there's a problem, then you probably need to start looking at stopping. Yeah, accountability um, is funny like that. 
yeah, bugger. <laughs> Party pooper. Awareness is painful, you know what I mean? So knowledge can be really painful. So I lived in a world of denial and I was young, you know. I, mm. I When I first did my first trip to rehab, I was about 24, I think. Okay. And I went into a rehab and, you know, I looked at all of these. I was full of ego and full of yeah. arrogance and full of like I'm not this and I'm not those people um, yes. and that judgmental part that was yeah. like I'm not a junkie, I'm not an addict because my life looks like this, which was bullshit. And I was yeah. warned, you know what I mean? And I was I was warned that, you know, I had the thing, you know, I had that thing and that all of those yets and all of those experiences that I didn't think were going to be a part of my life were certainly out there waiting for me mm. if I wanted to go and investigate and me being me and, and not being prepared to look at it or look at myself, I, I went out and did the exploring myself. I had to find out for myself, I guess. Yeah, you do. You have to fall flat on your face before. And so just in comparison to our families, did your family have to step away from you for a while and just leave you to it or did they stay really connected to you in the uh, hope? Because sometimes hope can be actually more damaging for parents than just stepping away. Yeah, look, my family are fucking incredible and my my mum – you know, she's like a lioness and, and she, you know, but it, like so many families and, you know, I'm sure you understand this in the beginning, like they enabled me so badly. Yeah. But it looked and felt like love. For yes. Them, you know what yes. I mean? But, and, and safety. And safety and it's a really confusing conversation and um, my family actually come on to the last episode of this season and talk about their own experiences as having somebody in their family system as a mental health and, and a drug mm. addiction and how it affected them and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's a tricky one because, yes, in the beginning they were there and they tried to fix and save and, and inevitably because I wasn't ready it was just enabling and they were a part of many of those rallies that I talked yeah. about, you know, let's, let's help Kate get her shit together. And then they got mad, you know, especially my siblings. My, my siblings went through yeah. that anger, which was just fear, you know, mm. just fear of losing their sister as it got worse. And my dad my dad didn't know how to fix it either. He didn't, you know, I guess I, he withdrew probably sooner than anybody else. He was always there and loved me, but he just yeah. – um, but my mum was there until the very end, mm. until I really got clean, and my brother, but they were so angry. And it's a really common story. It wasn't until they fully cut ties with me and my mum drew a really big line in the sand and said, Kate, if you don't do this treatment and finish it and stay in there, like, I won't be here anymore. Yeah. And I really believe that was one of the major things that helped me make the change. So you, you must have had some level of a conscience still remaining for those words to have power over you because certainly, you know, when some people get really bad, they're like, well, fine, fuck you, go, whatever, I don't care. But yeah. you must have still had an essence of you still in there for that to kind of create a little bit of rhythm, even if it wasn't a permanent rhythm, but a little bit of inner reflection. Yes, yeah, I guess so. I had a really my rock bottom was um, I don't know what you call it, call it divine intervention, higher power, moment of sanity. I don't know all of that, all of those things. Yeah, and it was a really, it was just a moment where I caught myself, and I'd had all the epic you know, dramatic rock bottoms and screaming and losing things and getting arrested and going to courts and all of that stuff that you would think, yeah, sure, that's probably going to tell her that it's enough. But it wasn't that for me. It was it was just a moment in time where I caught myself in the mirror and I was really messed up. 
physically, yeah. emotionally, spiritually, all of the ways. Um, and I just went, fuck, if you don't, if you don't change you, you're gonna die. And I knew it to my core. And so I knew it was time to change for me, but I it was my mum calling it. Yeah. Her end that was the final straw that kept me in a treatment center, I guess. It's interesting when you talk about rock bottom because is this true that I read that you had a knife in your leg? A machete yeah. was the word I read. Yeah, I got stabbed, yep. How the hell does that happen? Well, you know, one of the very – like I'm an, I'm addicted to everything, right? I'm addicted to the air if I think it'll get me out of myself and, and give me some freedom from self, you know what I mean? Yeah, euphoric. Um, I just am. Yeah, love addiction has been a really big part of my story and probably – on par with the power of drug addiction and anybody who's, I think, experienced love addiction will be nodding their head going, yes. And look, I found myself in a very intense, unsafe relationship in the end of my using and, and him and I met each other and it was like an explosion, uh, explosion of intensity and passion yeah. and all of these things coupled with a raging drug addiction and then throw on board a bit of ice rage um, and it was just a it was a dangerous relationship to be a part of and you know there was a lot of violence and abuse and he had his own demons that he was fighting mm. and yeah it was just one of those situations that I found myself in but it wasn't enough to stop me like it was you know and as I said I like you know I was deep in love addiction so yeah. it was it all made sense at the time and did it go a bit both ways the aggression like, were you a bit feisty as well when you were using it? I definitely got lippy, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I had some things to say and I was just hot. Like, when, you know, and I'm, I'm not downplaying any kind of abuse at all, I'm really not, and it's a really, it's a really sensitive topic to talk yes. about, but, you know, there was times that I would be so outraged at the way he would treat me that I would fuel the fire, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I... You know, I just couldn't understand why this person that loved me could be like that and that would make me so angry that I would rage and he would rage and there would be just so much rage and anger involved. There's a whole other conversation. It is, but I think it really, it just didn't, the crux of it, it comes down to such old wounding. It's just such old wounding and it's it's so toxic, it's so poisonous when it's with yourself, the old wounding, and when something, you know, the modern word that everyone likes to use, triggered, it's so complicated. And yes, we all dream of these relationships where we're supported and we've got security and and then some women, they're like, that's fucking boring. I like a little bit of a little bit of argument, a little bit of fire, a little bit of fuel. And and there's that urge to go primal sometimes for whatever reason. It's just part of human nature. We're complicated creatures. And then you add trauma or you add narratives and then you add addiction and then you add psychosis and then you add mental health and it's just like the fucking kettle is boiling over oh my golly yeah exactly right and that's what it was and there was so many layers to that and by the time I met him the drugs had stopped working and he became my new solution um, yeah. so I was addicted to him because he made me feel all of those things that drugs had done in the beginning so it was a very it was a very complicated setup and people, you know, I'm a, I have no anger towards him these days, you know what I mean? And I, I have I have no feeling and I'm a big believer in forgiveness isn't always about the other person and, you know, it's... That's I, exactly I right. Yeah. Beautiful. So you've had your epiphany, you've walked past, you've seen a bit of a, a light, you know, that 
this is no way forward. There's no way forward from here. So you start getting better and you start reaching out. Yeah. Maybe, sort of, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. So I, you know, it was a pretty, I guess the ending of me using was was pretty dramatic. There was a month of me in, I believe, in, in some kind of mental breakdown, you know, mm-hmm. running around Melbourne. You know, I, I knew that my time had come where I was going to actually have to put drugs down and I'd been to rehab before so I knew wasn't my first rodeo, so I knew what was waiting for me when I finally put them down. But, yeah, I, look, I I did the old surrender thing, you know what I mean? I did the old acceptance and I went, it hurt, fuck it hurt, but um, I went, I can't do this by myself and I couldn't trust a thought. I couldn't trust any thought that yeah. I had, any action that I had you know, my disease was so cunning and baffling and powerful and, and ingrained in me that basically any thought I had was just one step me closer going back to using. So I had to really hand over my whole life to the power of something else and that in that moment came in the form of a rehab and then therapists and mm. then transition houses and I am a really proud and active member of Narcotics Anonymous and they became the people that held me and and guided me when I was just totally incapable of making any choices or or trusting my choices, I guess, is, you know, I I wasn't able to do that for myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a big realisation, isn't it, when you can go, wait, you're full of shit thought? No, I can see you're sneaking around the corner there to devote me back. The brain is very powerful, especially an addicted brain that is relying on something. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because even on on a much lower scale, I know when I'm craving sugar, my brain will say to me, "Go and have a cuppa," because it knows when I have a cuppa, I have a biscuit. Yeah, and it's same, same, exactly the same. It's setting you up. It's setting you up to put you in a position where you get what you want, the reward. But you also kind of forget. Oh, that's right. I'm not doing that. Oh crap! So you've done it. Yeah, yeah. And it's just just an inherent like muscle memory. That's all it is. Nothing more. Nothing less. And that was it. And I just had to go, oh, and there were many times when I would, you know, fight that and I would go, no, this thought I'm having or this idea I've got is pure and I'm only, you know, and I want this and I want recovery. And looking back, I was going, oh, my God, I was just so capable. Like I was just amazing at the bullshit Mm. I could in myself. So, yeah, that was the first big step for me was handing over my will I guess and and in any way my life to something outside of me as long as Kate wasn't in control things were probably going to be okay Mm. yeah well I'm glad that part's over I hope it never rears its head again for you you just got too much to lose yeah I certainly do now yeah 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 and so what's next so you've you've fallen in love with a good guy and you have a baby I do yeah, look, there was a lot of years and I, you know, I needed a part of my recovery and part of my healing was to remain single for and away from relationships for a while. Um, yeah. You know, I wasn't capable of being healthy in relationship and I needed to work out what being healthy in relationship even looked like. But did you have a tribe of really great girlfriends around you? Because you know that you need that. Like that's a big part of your connection is that you, you know, you can't have enabling relationships, but you also are a human that needs connection. Absolutely. And I 100% like a connection. One of the things we say in NA is the opposite of addiction is connection. But funnily enough, women, my relationship with women um, has taken a really long time to be like, I fucking hated women when I first came into recovery. I was scared of them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know how to be in relationship with them. I didn't know. I couldn't manipulate women. I knew how to manipulate men. Women could see me and I, I couldn't hide in a room of women and I hated it and they saw me for what I was. So I did meet a couple of amazing women in NA who saw that and, you know, I had a girlfriend. She would pick me up once a week, take me to a meeting and she would say, do you, how do you feel? I said, fucking hell, right? Like horrendous. <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable. I'm Good. We're going to do this every week till you yeah. feel comfortable and every week she picked me up and, you know, yeah, I've met some women and I have a beautiful group of, of women that are so special to me now, but it, it really took some time to be able to navigate that. But, yeah, I think having a group of people around me that understood me and the way my brain operated has been a massive key. And and still, like I, I don't rely on my family or anybody really you know, that's not anybody's responsibility. My recovery isn't it, you know, I have my people that yeah. that I go to that I that I can lean on and I, I don't put that responsibility on anybody else, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I, I spent a couple of years healing and you know, just before COVID I right place, right time, met a wonderful man who was the total opposite of um anything I'd ever been in before. It's a very safe space, it's very secure. You know, I've never been in a relationship that's safe in all the ways, you know, emotionally, physically, financially, mm-hmm. all of those things, which has also taken me some time to get used to. And, again, I want to burn that to the ground sometimes because I yeah. get frightened of it. Go and shag yeah. it instead. Yeah. Stop <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to really go down that line. Um, yeah, and, look, he's been wonderful and, yeah, and then now I have this beautiful one-year-old baby and that's a whole other a whole other extreme sport is the yes. way I'll put that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just and a little thing. It is hard. And I, I'm glad you got a bit of a gap between your, let's say, your last, you know, usage to have the healing before you became a mum because there's so many people, like even my sister spoke about the relapse potential when you're recently come off drugs, you've somehow fall pregnant instantly and then you have a baby and you're still getting clean and you're still fighting your demons and you're like, how the fuck do people do this without taking something and using? Absolutely. Because, um, you know, my anxi- you know, the anxiety is through the roof. My hormones are everywhere. What the hell? is This This isn't what it was supposed to be. I mean, to just love them and this is just really hard. Fuck yeah, absolutely. And please let me be really clear. I'm not judging or anything to anybody that has any other experience or or story with having babies. I just... I saw some really horrific things with little kids in my using and in all my insanity it really stuck with me and I just made a promise to myself that I, and I was so like contracepted up to my eyeballs, you know what I mean? Like I had that stuff everywhere so there was just as little, you know, basically no chance um, of that happening and I, yeah, I just made a promise to myself that I was going to give it as much space and I wanted to be able to be, the best version that I could be, and I and, and I knew that when I got pregnant, it would bring up all of my demons and my mm. body issues, mm. and I knew it was going to be hard enough as it was. So, yeah, to be honest, I thought I'd missed my chance to have a baby. Um, I, I'm I didn't glad think you didn't. Happen. Yeah, I thought it. I didn't think it would happen to me. So, yeah, I, I was really grateful to be in the space that I was when the opportunity arose. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Well, that is so special. And it's, again, the ultimate connection. You know, there's certainly there's rough, hard days and you make your choices in the future. Obviously, you're still on the internet. 
there's some education to do for your own children. Just like, hey, I'm sure if my kid Googled me from the 90s or the early 2000s, I'm definitely dancing on a few podiums in Melbourne and bent a revolver and did a few things like that. Good for you. (laughs) So it's, you know, but that's me just on a downplay. Like there might be an old MySpace page out there. What do you think you might come across when it's time to have a little chat with your son and just say, yeah, mum was a bit wild for a little while and some newspapers got hold of it? Or do you just wait until they maybe some find it? Well, hope that it just all dies and it's just time. No, look, I I want Hudson to know, you know, I don't think he needs to know every dirty detail of of some of the things that his mum did, you know, Mm. certain aspects that nobody needs to know about. It's not relevant. One thing about addiction is it's not about, you know, there's a million using stories out there. It's, Mm. It's not about what happened in my using and was about the way that I felt. And I really just want him to know that, you know, he can come to me with anything. You know, there's nothing, yeah. he, your mum's not going to judge a kid, you know what I mean? Like I, I understand and I, you know, I just wanted to be a safe space for him always. Beautiful. Um, and, yeah, that's, I don't think hiding it from him is is what I want to do anyway. Yeah. yeah. So what would you say to someone who might be listening, to someone who, you know, might be, you know, supporting someone, what do you think? Like if someone was like, okay, Kate, I'm listening and I've got a kid who's going through this or my sister's going through this or, you know, the lies are just endless. I asked my sister the same question. What do you think a drug user could hear that could help? And I know this is different for everyone. It is different for everyone and I, you know, I can only talk about what was what right. What you needed for to me. hear. Yep. And to be honest, there was nothing that I could have heard until I was ready. Yeah. And that's really sad and super painful for anybody with a loved one going through it. Like, it didn't mean I didn't love my family, even though it didn't look like I did at the time. But I was so deep in it that it, it wouldn't have mattered getting clean and, and getting sober and finding recovery. It just doesn't work unless you want it for yourself. And the best thing my family ever did for me and if I could give anybody any advice would be go get educated yourself. Yes. You can't, you're powerless over the addict but you're not powerless over yourself and go get educated and get an understanding of why they behave the way they behave and what addiction really means. Yeah. And maybe I guess my mum described it as she needed to find, she needed to learn how to love me the way I I needed to be loved, not the way I thought I needed to be loved. Yeah, Um, yeah. I think that's every family, regardless of situation. Like that's number one thing I say to families that come into soul care is have you guys all done your love language test? And just because often we love someone the way that we need it, but it's just because that's what we need. So we think that's what someone else wants. Yeah. Sometimes it's about actually if we all just get a deeper understanding of what we all need, then, and I'd have to love my children three very different ways. Like my eldest son definitely is quite tactile. Yeah. And he needs time, like certainly um, acts of time. My daughter it would need a lot more positive affirmations mm-hmm. and touch, whereas my younger son is very much touch, but he's all about give me the shit, so gifts. Yeah. <laughs> he's still young, so he's like, buy me give the stuff. Yeah, 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 give it to me, give it to me. Buy me the stuff, buy me the Roblox, buy me the Minecraft, whatever. And yeah. so it's very different. But the hard thing about parenting in that way is that it's exhausting to meet everyone's needs where they're at. If I could just do one umbrella of love, that would be amazing. 
but it yeah. wouldn't work. And it's, no. it wouldn't reach them where I want it to reach in their heart so that they make good choices and honor their body and soul and their moral compass and their personal brand with integrity. Yeah. We can all dance around the play zone. We can all do a couple of naughty things here and there. But I think for me, I just want their cups to be filled that no matter what they go and experiment and do, they know to their core that their body is worth more than that. Oh, that's so Their heart is worth more than that. Yes. That's what I'm trying. Some days I get it right, some days I get it terribly wrong. But that's okay. You've just got to get up and try. Yeah. Um, So what do you want to do next? What are you thinking? Where am I? Who am I? Look, I uh, have survived my first year being a mum. So, you know, I'll probably look at being a mum again one day soon, I think. But, yeah, look, I'm happy – I've got another season of this podcast coming out and we we come back and we talk about different types of addictions and different types of recovery, different people's stories, different people's journeys, and I just want it to be a space where people similar to you can come and feel safe and share. And, yeah, I've got some new music coming out. I've been doing a lot of writing. I've got some cool shows coming up next year. Ooh, I'm keen for that. Yeah. I'm just still trying to find my feet, you know what I mean? Like I'm I'm still trying to work out I'm one of – you know, I guess one of the things that happened in recovery or in addiction, sorry, is that I, I lost who I was and I and I came out actually not knowing who I was or what I liked or, you know, what I was into or, yeah. you know, I've had to relearn what my morals are and what my values are and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm yeah. still kind of working that out to some degree. But, yeah, I'm I'm just happy and grateful to be alive and to have not just a life but the most wonderful life filled with so much love you know, anything in some ways is a bit of a bonus from here for me. Beautifully said. And every human should be worthy of that. Yeah. Gratitude is a beautiful place to, to live from. It is. It is very much. I'm so pleased that you said yes to this interview. And I'm so pleased that there is light at the end of your tunnel. There is. And it's shining bright. And your family have got you back. And you've as got a family. Your plant, as long as your feet are planted on the ground, there's there can be light at the end of anyone's tunnel. I truly believe that. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. I hope that everything comes together beautifully. I look forward to seeing some tour dates, listening uh, to some music. I love watching your dad have a little jam on the guitar on your socials and having your little fellow sitting at his feet. That was bloody beautiful, heartwarming. Love it. Gorgeous. Yeah, broke my heart. I love it. Yeah, another little musician coming up. Hopefully. Well. We're going to send out here, folks. Watch out. Kate Derusion 2024. It's going to be really fucking excited and we're here for the ride. So take care. Thank you for having me. (laughs) My pleasure. Take care. And Solis, this is getting towards the end of season one. I've got one more episode coming up for you and I think you're going to really find the value in it, especially at Christmas as we reflect and have our news resolutions. That episode is going to be Where's the Truth in That? And it's about the stories you tell yourself and how you can talk back to them to see if the fundamental balance and the evidence is there to support the bullshit story that your brain's telling you, and then how you can reflect on that and start to change it in action. Also for me, and I think this might be something you'd be interested in, Kate, because I, like you, I don't have an addictive personality, but I definitely am a wild spirit, and I definitely used to love to party and dance. For me, I'm finding that I'm enjoying a lot more events in sober, sobriety, but I still have this like energy that creeps up in my body that needs to be, you know, served in some way. So next year I'll be offering what'll be like euphoric dance. So it'd be through a meditation because there's plenty of people who sit in oh, all sorts of spaces in their head where laying down meditation doesn't work for them. In fact, it's kind of torture. 
So this will be a meditation that I'll lead people through that anyone who's got that real kind of energy that needs to shift and move through their body, they want to connect to their sensuality, they want to connect to their inner goddess, will be running these euphoric dances that will be totally sober and it'll be led through a meditation and it's about shaking all the junk out of your body so it doesn't accumulate and accumulate and accumulate over time. So it'll be a beautiful practice of getting back in tune with your body, accepting it the way it is being fascinated at what it can do, and then just shaking the shit of life out, dripping out of the end of your fingers so it doesn't contaminate you and then turn into something bigger than it needs to. So that's an exciting thing that's coming up for me. And it's just my absolute pleasure. I hope that your Christmas is wonderful and you have a lovely, silly season with all of your family and enjoy, enjoy yourself. And whatever you do, just make sure you have fun doing it. That's the main thing. Thanks, Solis. And thank you to you, Kate. Thank you. And that's all for today, folks. As always, thank you for letting me your ears and your hearts. I feel so grateful and blessed to be able to share these stories with you and bring us together as a community. This is Gail Wilson, and this is Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. Don't forget to follow and subscribe so that you get notifications on the next episode as it lands. Take care and just be kind to yourself.